0: Welcome, everyone, to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. Sports pin. 7205, Spanky.
1: What do you need, Spanky?
0: Looking at 903.
1: Yankees are 39
0: over a quarter. Give me Seattle plus 25 dimes.
1: You got Seattle plus 25 for six. Pin to confirm.
0: Seven two zero five Spanky, <laughs> that was great. That's a flashback,
1: Spanky.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. My guest this week is has literally come from did every single thing in a business, started from the bottom, and went on her went on her way to become CEO of Pinnacle Sports. She's now a strategic consultant and an expert advisor. Please welcome my longtime friend, Paris Smith. Paris, thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you so much, thank you That was so fun. I kind of, I might reconsider my career path now. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it started.
0: <laughs> exactly. And we're going to get to that because that's our first interaction some 25 years ago when, um, when you used to clerk and I, I'll, I you know, you used to take the bets on the phone and, you know, you really have done it all. I can't wait to talk about it all. But let's start from the beginning. How was life growing up?
1: You know, I had a very privileged life, great family, great friends. I grew up in a tiny town of a little over 500 people. Um, My passion was sports. I was a basketball player. I played basketball. I would run dribbling my basketball. I'm sure all the neighbors hated me. But, you know, that was just that simple. We had, you know, I had four wheelers, horses, horses lake cabin we go water skiing like literally live the dream and i think that that foundation and growing up in such a nice humble you know that north dakota environment i think that really set the tone for my future to be honest with you
0: 500 people that's such a small you, you pretty much you knew everybody everybody knew everybody that's a yeah
1: and then to make it worse, my dad, uh, my dad's family owned the bank, and we had a massive ranch and farm. So, and my grandfather was a politician. He many years ago was the governor of North Dakota. So everybody knew me. I would get speeding tickets, and my dad would know before I got home.
0: <laughs> oh my God! Wow. So, uh, would you? Would, was it a strict upbringing, or was it, uh, or? You know, did, you, did, they, did they keep the uh, the leash on tight or, or did you have a lengthy leash? How was it? You know, it
1: was a small town, so you yeah. never really had to worry about anything. And, you know, I could go play. Of course, I had a curfew. Um, my parents, you know, one thing that they always did is allowed me to make decisions and and always trusted I'd make the right decisions. So I would go out running while my friends were partying in the park. I just, you know, I was so driven and focused with basketball um, I was, I put more restrictions on myself growing up, I think than my parents, they were just always extremely supportive.
0: For you to be such disciplined at such a young age, was there a role model or was there somebody that you emulated to be able to have that discipline?
1: Um, I think it was just the way my parents were, you know, they were always so focused on giving us the best life and You know, I, my grandfather, he was a massive influence on me. I admired him so much. I used to go to the golf club with him and to the Lions Club and, you know, just be out and about with him. And, you know, seeing that level of respect that people gave him and hearing the stories, he was also in the war as well. So, you know, I, and my dad was in the army. Um, So I think that that kind of structure is what really guided me
0: love it so you, you grow up great life you start off you have discipline um, North Dakota small town what do you study in school?
1: well basketball was such a focus um you know school wasn't exactly the priority unfortunately so I studied mm-hmm. tourism so I got a degree in tourism with a minor in psychology and uh, and uh, there's interpersonal communications in there so that was my degree. And again, it was, you know, my, my focus was to play basketball.
0: And, um, how, how let's describe, you know, college basketball, um, um, and you know, you, you went to school in North Dakota.
1: Yeah. Um, I went to, I, I started out, um, being recruited by four year schools. My grandfather got sick, so I chose to stay near him. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately a year and a half later he passed, but I was able to spend a lot of time with him. So it was you know, it was worth it, if you will. So I went to a small uh, JUCO to be near him. And then I was planning to go to a large um, four-year school, but I decided to go to Black Hill State University, which is a nice-sized school in South Dakota. And, you know, I just, growing up in a small town, I just wanted to, you know, have something that was manageable for me. Um, and then I played basketball at Black Hills State. I broke my ankle the first year, um, absolutely devastated. I was at the top of my game, or at least in my own mind. And, um, and then I had to redshirt a year. And you know that, that actually taught me the first time life isn't fair because I literally lived breathing basketball. I played basketball seven hours a day. I didn't really have a job in high school. It was basketball, basketball, basketball.
0: So that kind of injury is, you know, this is career threatening. Um, Were you ever the same since that, since uh, the injury or?
1: Um, I wouldn't say I was the same. Um, You know, I came back relatively strong, Um, but it, it just made me see. And at the time, I mean, I'm old. So there was no WNBA. Um, And at the time it was like, okay, this is going to be it. So um, I, I did start, focusing a bit more on my, my classes. And and then I actually would get summer jobs and, you know, realize that there was life outside of basketball, started dating somebody from the Caribbean. And, uh, and then that will take us to the next phase.
0: (laughs) So, so, so this is great. So you're, so tourism now, you kind of learn, you know, because it's funny when you're, you're dating somebody from the Caribbean and you have a degree in tourism. So you kind of understand travel international travel and 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 what that means um you know being from a small town where did you want to come out and 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 see the rest of the world um right away or were you content with staying in that small town environment forever
1: um you know i did want to go out uh you know it wasn't my dream to travel the world but i i did live many other people's dreams of traveling the world um, I ended up I wanted to go away for a while so you know just for a short period so I thought hey you know he's from Antigua let me go to Antigua and get an internship and then after that we can come back home and you know my path was kind of like working in the Department of Tourism for North Dakota government <laughs> that <laughs> could have been a path, that been
0: a path. <laughs> absolutely um, so, so okay so you, so and 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 his and, and you decided to go to Antigua. The initial plan was how long would you spend in Antigua?
1: Three months.
0: And what did it wind up being?
1: It winded up being 12 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, uh, it, and it was interesting because, you know, I'm from North Dakota, very privileged family. And in Antigua, they were like, sorry, we can't hire you. And this is back in 93, 94. And they were like, you're white, we can't hire you, literally. And um, and that was an interesting, you know, an, an interesting angle for my life, to say the least. But it taught me so much, right? And it took me a year. I was there doing odd jobs. I did my internship. I was a dive shop girl. I marketed timeshare. I dealt blackjack. I used to deal blackjack in college as well. So, you know, and then at some point they're like, sorry, it's slow season. You're the only white dealer. We're going to have to let you go. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to, if I can't find a job, I'll go home at Christmas. And this was in uh, July. And um, now again, moving into the next phase, Antigua, Worldwide Telesports. Then I met a guy on my first day back from vacation. And I had a dog and he's, and you, you know, at that stage, you have to quarantine your dog. So he says, Oh, you must live here. I said, yeah. And he goes, uh, what do you do? And I said, well, I, I can't really find a job. And he goes, Oh, well, I, I have the world's biggest sports book, but I'm not hiring. I said, Oh, <laughs> and uh, but I know a guy that just moved here and he's looking for female clerks to answer the phone. I said, Oh, okay. Cause I'm going to call him. This is his address. Go see him. And the gentleman who I'm forever indebted to is John Rogers, who had Carib sports. He had a beautiful company. He did a great job. And then he introduced me to Bill Scott. So I walk into this building that I thought I was out running and I thought, let me, uh, you know, let me, um, you know, see where I'm going because I was supposed to go the following day. And I walk in and this guy is obviously been working around the clock. He's got, a whole heap of cigarette uh, butts everywhere, <laughs> those TVs, recorders, telephones, and I walk in and it's like, you know, the kind of stuff you'd have in your backyard for furniture. And I said, um, hello. And he goes, uh, you know, what are you doing here? A- and a little bit more colorful. And then I <laughs> said, I'm here to see Bill Scott. And he goes, come on in, baby. I'm Billy. And he hired me. And I started Jan, uh, July 7th, 1995.
0: Wow. You remember the exact date, 7 7. Yeah. That's apropos. So yeah. you, 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 you start with, and, and for, when you see Billy Scott for the first time, larger than life character, can you just describe that first impression?
1: It was a little bit of a Danny DeVito, like full of charisma. <laughs> he yeah. was. You know, just he was like literally sitting back, you know, with the cigarette in his mouth, like, what are you doing here? You know, yeah. and um, and right away. And he was really built. Right. So he was quite strong. So I was like, OK, this guy goes to the gym. Good. Good for him. And yeah, he he was you know, I, I got a good vibe from him right out of the gate. And um, and he you know, the fact that he hired me immediately, I was super excited. And, you know, of course, at that stage. The money I was making was absolutely nil. I mean, I was barely scraping by. So what he was offering was uh, a lot more than I'd been making. So I was super excited. But an interesting thing, then there was a hurricane in September. And at that point, I was just taking bets, answering the phones. And when the hurricane hit, a couple of people that worked for him fled the island, basically, and he was alone. And I went and found him after the hurricane, where he stayed because I had this big, ridiculous Jeep um, that was like a road hazard. But anyway, but I was able to get to him through the hurricane damage. And he goes, let's go to the office. And I'm like, okay, but everything, there's no electricity. There's no water. And it literally went on for months at that point. So we get in the Jeep, go to the office, and there's a tree, like a phone trunk. And it was pulled out of the wall from the wind. And he goes, Come on, let's go. We're finding somebody from APUA. We get in the car, drive around, look for an APUA truck. We find two guys that happen to be two of the top uh, technicians. And we bring them to the office. He gives them like a thousand bucks and says, If you fix this, I'll give you an extra thousand on top of it. And they did. And we were the only people on the island that had phones. It was (laughs) amazing. And just to kind of give you a flavor of Billy, you know, he was. Kind of a tough guy-ish, but not like a sweetheart. Um, he allowed all the other sports books to port their phones over to our lines in order to take bets so they wouldn't be shut down.
0: Wow. so that's, yeah that, and, it, that's a sense of uh, a, a camaraderie that existed back then that okay. unfortunately it doesn't exist today,
1: you know, I don't even know if it doesn't exist today. It's just hmm. a different animal, right?
0: Yeah, 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 you know,
1: um that's how i I feel like one of the biggest um things that i credit billy for and owe to him is my ability to have met everybody in the industry so everybody from costa rica from belize from panama from curacao they used to come to Cur- to antigua and kind of see how it how it all started you know like how do you do this we want to we want to open up a sports book and we had a folder that showed the payment processing you know for western union and the forms to fill out and the um, you know the the we'd introduce them to the bank in Antigua because that was one of the main banking centers. I'd give them a list of pe- where to advertise, pl- uh, casino player. You know, Jim Feist magazine, one way back, yeah. and um, and then the form. You know, like when people call, then you know this is what you do. Oh, and this these are the eight hundred numbers, which by the way used to be astronomically expensive, like a buck and a buck fifteen a, a minute. You know, so that's why going back to our little opening, you know, pin uh, sports pen. it was like, you know, we're not here for pleasantries. You know, <laughs> get them off the phone. It costs money. <laughs> Love it. Love it.
0: Exactly. In and out. Yeah. So let's describe the office in, in the WWTS in 1995. How many clerks, how many rows of clerks describe it on a, on a slow day in the middle of the summer and describe it on NFL Sunday for somebody that hasn't seen an office, um, uh, back then.
1: Well, if, I just have to go back a tiny bit further. So in yeah. July, when I started, um, right. no training, you know, Billy's like, you know, sports. Yeah. as a basketball player, you know, gambling. Yeah. I doubt blackjack. Okay. Answer the phone. Straight phones, <laughs> teasers, sweethearts, put it in, read the lines, blah, blah, blah. I knew <laughs> sports so well, it was no problem. But one day somebody called and said, is this Lightning casino or worldwide telesports? And I'm like, um, hold on a minute. I was like, Billy, what's, lightning casino or worldwide telesports. Cause I didn't know he, I didn't know the name of the company. (laughs) And he goes, who is it? And then I said, I'm sorry, where are you calling from? I'm calling from, I don't know, let's say Philadelphia. And I'm like, okay. And what are you trying to do? I'm trying to open up an account. I said, well, where did you see us? And it was an ad that Billy paid like 750 bucks for. And I think we signed up like 1500 people. That's an ROI that does not exist today. <laughs> that's amazing. And so, and then that's when I started and I shifted from being a clerk to being in marketing. And, you know, it was, uh, it was just so interesting that people, you know, we, we had no, there was nothing there, you know, and that's what I think a lot of people like us refer to as the good old days when you actually created the industry. So,
0: wow, that, 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 it's amazing to see that. That, and the, how, how big the ads were, and how influential some of those ads were to try to in the early days of, yeah. of internet and phone wagering.
1: Then, I can't be the only one answering the phones. The other funny thing that happened is I would answer the phones, and then Billy would answer, and they'd hang up, and then the phone would ring again, and they're like, oh, hi, yeah, and I, you know, pin, blah, blah, blah. And then Billy would say, Did you hang up on me? <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> <laughs> and he realized. That and I don't know if a lot of people know this, but WWTS had like 185 employees at one point, and there was probably six men: Billy, a line guy, um, and a couple IT guys. That was it.
0: Every clerk was female.
1: Girls at and and everybody, even the girls at the helm, they were, you know, it was all women. The finance team was all women. Everybody and. You know, we taught people how to upsell. So when guys' balances were down, then they would, um, you know, oh, hey, John, do you know, or Spanky, you know, did you want to send some money for the weekend? <laughs> Shame Love them. It. and it. The, it worked really well. And that was one of the reasons why I started speaking to Pinnacle, because they would basically, you know, say, hey, you know, how, you know, how do you train your people? Everybody talks about your customer service. Your customer service is the best. So, you know, and then going back, the, all these people came in and, you know, here I am the little minion, if you will, helping Billy, giving everybody the keys to the kingdom of how to work in, a, in an offshore sports book. So I, I really met a lot of, that's where I met everybody, to be honest.
0: Why did Billy become the go-to guy for learning how to operate the sports book? How did he, why did he become so great at it? <laughs> that's a great question.
1: He was he was with a company called Drug Emporium. I don't know if you remember that, a million years ago out of Ohio. And he just understood a company and his dream was to make the sports bet, you know, the sports book back in the day. It was a bunch of Vegas bookies answering, taking bets, getting paid ridiculous money. In the end, most of them stole mailing lists and opened up their own books. But his dream was to make it a business. And people saw that. And he was just a nice guy, right? And um, Antigua was a really hot bed for gaming. So he would just open up his doors. And it was just a testament to who he is.
0: Yeah, well, definitely a legend and um, and someone I know that everybody, I don't think anybody's ever said a bad word about Billy Scott um, no. over the years. So, okay, so you're there, you're, you're clerking, you know, I, I, but most, then you're shifting to marketing. 185 employees, that's just like astronomical phones are ringing off the hook when the the, the, the business obviously started off heavy phone light internet when did you start seeing that the business was gradually getting more and more internet heavy um did that take a while or you Uh, know do you remember that transition when the phones just didn't ring as much
1: um yes but to be honest at the end of my tenure with wwts it was still 85 percent phone so that's 2006. Wow. it was companies like intertops and pinnacle that were really focusing on the internet and i'll get into how pinnacle transitioned because that's an awesome story but you know way back when you know, when I said, Hey, Billy, I think we need a, uh, we need to be on the internet. And he goes, nobody's ever going to place a bet on the internet. And then (laughs) I, well, we need a URL and a website. So for marketing. Oh, okay. Okay. And then he's (laughs) like, I don't want WWW in front. I don't want people to have to remember that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. That is great. Um, Oh man, betwwts was that I remember that was the website. betwwts or was it just wwts? No, it was betwwts. Bet, WWTS. Bet WWTS. Yeah, yeah, betwwts
1: is Bet. worldwide travel service and Oh, okay. It was in the Bible Belt. They had no desire to sell
0: for. It. <laughs> so Okay, so yeah, so you're there till 2006, but when are you starting to think now of transitioning? You could talk, you said you were going to mention something about Pinnacle and and mm-hmm. how they kind of, because Pinnacle, if I recall correctly, Pinnacle had an 800 number. And we used to call Pinnacle and we mm-hmm. used to bet on the phone, just mm-hmm. like everywhere else. Um, but they transitioned real, real early. You want to get into that a little bit? Yep.
1: So um, I knew of Pinnacle, like I said, because they would always call and, you know, you had to do transfers back then. And they kept saying, you know, how old's your daughter? You know, maybe, you know, we have a great international school in Curacao. And I'm like, stop poaching! You don't do that, you know. And then Billy sold the company, and I was part of the deal. I had to stay on for two years, and it, I, you know, to this day, I, I, I can't see myself ever working for a public company, you know, especially in the sports betting space, uh, space because,
0: you know, it's about
1: risk. Uh, Public companies aren't real excited about risk. You see all the public companies are currently more entertainment companies and they do a phenomenal job, but that's not the real sports betting that I had personally grown up. So um, I was ready to, ready to go. Um, And in 2006, uh, that's when I uh, signed my deal with Pinnacle. I started in August, actually August 7th. Um, I don't even know what day it is today. Yeah, last week. I no, in a couple of days. It be my 17th year. Um, but anyway, it was uh, when I came, you know, they there were stories about how the guys at the helm used to say, you know, oh, you know, like, oh, well, that's spanky on the phone, spanky, stop betting on the phone. It's you know, we're gonna give you reduced juice if you bet online. So there is a period of time where they transitioned where if you bet online. You got the pinnacle Jew, the pinnacle vig, and then if you bet on the phones, you'd still get 110. That was towards the end of the transition, and then they would literally go to the go to the computer store, buy a computer, have the kid come hook it up, walk everybody through the process because you know with the model of pinnacle, of course, people would save a fortune betting online, and that was it was like really hand holding some of the old school guys and getting them online, and then I think it was. Probably 2007 or eight when we closed down the the phone vetting completely.
0: Wow. And and then was there any stragglers back then that still couldn't uh, uh, adjust and had to still have that, you know, 800 number just to just because I remember back then, obviously not today, but back then guys just could not get accustomed to the Internet.
1: I think we probably had three or four guys. And still, I might be exaggerating. Yeah, yeah. But now it's all fine.
0: Okay, so now you're at Pinnacle. What roles are you doing similar that you're doing at WWTS, and what did you see different? How were compare both operations? What was good and what was bad, and what did you and what was different?
1: Well, I think at WWTS because I started. So young, and I started at the ground like everything that was a great idea was Billy. Everything that you know was like, Oh, why did we do that? That was me. (laughs) So then I come into Pinnacle, and they were like, You know, oh, you've done this before. And I'm like, You know, it was interesting because they saw in me more than I did, which was really, you know, that's when I knew my heart was with Pinnacle, and um, and they they believed in me, you know uh, don't need to get into it, but obviously I had a case and they said, you know what, we don't even care. We're going to help you get through that. We need you. We've been waiting for you. We want you just come. And that was, that was in August. And, um, you know, the, the case came out in May. So that was, that was huge. So, you know, obviously my loyalty, my loyalty was sky high. And then, um, you know as i started i came in and they're like i oh, just you know let's just say you're a consultant by the end of the day it's like hey she's here to run the company cuz nobody was responding to me they hadn't had a proper ceo for at least 4 years they just had the guys that owned it and they kind of ran it but it wasn't you know nobody had a title nobody it was very it was exceptionally successful without any structure and um and they had hoped i could bring that in so Um, then probably about 2007, 2008, you know, they're like, you know, well, why did this happen? Well, you know, Paris, she's the CEO. And I was like, no, 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 I'm the COO. And they're like, no, you're the CEO. So that's how I got my formal title change. (laughs) I love it. And, uh, yeah. So, and then, you know, it was, it was just a, a different time back then. There was a lot of stuff you know, Pinnacle was such a monster Um, there. You know, there's a lot of things that I was you know, the credit side of the business and things like that, that they used to do. um, That was a bit out of my scope. I understood it. I knew the players, but I didn't deal with that. So then 2007, January 4th, I get a phone call. Hey, yeah, we're going to, and we had gotten opinions and they basically said, no matter how you spin it, twist it, what you're doing is going to be after UEGA is uh, um, something that's viewed as illegal. And they said, you know, we one of the reasons we hired you is you're so pragmatic and operational. We want you to take us out of the U.S. market. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> uh, okay. So then I said, when? After the NBA finals? You know, that would make sense. We're talking January 4th. Mm, No, no, the 11th. And we literally, I had to do it all. I didn't sleep for four days. We had to affect all the accounts, close all the casino, block the casino, block everything. Because of at that time, there was that that, um, credit structure. um, We couldn't tell anybody. And we had to get things in place to pay people out because we were very large at that point. And um it took from the fourth to the eleventh at midnight. We pulled the trigger and it was, you know, the end of uh sports betting in the US as everybody had known it. And I'll, I, no, my, I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget, forget it. I'll never forget
0: nothing. it. 11107. 1, uh woke up that morning and it was like a bomb hit. We didn't know what the mm-hmm. hell's going on. But guys, sorry to interrupt. So yeah. You know, after the one eleven, how how that that whole shakeup, how crazy was that? How you know, you know, you said you were planning it for a week. What happens after one eleven? Yeah, that's a great
1: question because we hadn't planned it clearly. Um, What the one thing was, I was very excited personally because with the thing, you know, with my previous history, it was just nice to be in a company that actually recognized, like you know, stop trying to beat this it's it's not right um so I was extremely excited about it um we had to pay everybody out it was everything was manual you know I I came in one day and said how many payouts are we doing a day they're like 150 we have like 30 40,000 players I'm like oh my god this isn't going to work it's going to take us two years to pay them out so then we, we wrote a script to automate it and I said I had a dream that we wrote a script and everything was done because you know 98% of the transfers are easy, and um, and then we we wrote the scripts, tested 500, 1,500, 1, 5,000. and a couple days later everybody was paid out. Um, I think probably one of the craziest things for me that's ever happened in this industry is we paid everybody out, and a day or two later. Uh, net teller got arrested
0: yeah i remember it
1: and you know people were like you knew it i'm like oh come on <laughs> you know and the ironic thing is the guy from Netteller came to curse out to visit me and the day and he's like hey let's do dinner i'm like really busy can't do it can't do it and then i said i can do dinner the next night and um and then the next morning he woke up and he's like yeah you were busy totally killing the industry i'm like i know don't tell me
0: <laughs> oh, like- I had to do a change of address and move down to Costa Rica, you know, supposedly, and send them all this documentation um, in order to get my funds released. Um, yeah. And and it took a whole big process, um, but yeah, I'll never forget that too. So this is and this all happens before the Super Bowl. So this is yeah. you guys, you guys, January eleventh. I think that might have been a week later or whatever it was. Yeah. Um And the, okay, so now the industries is, is so now you 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 lose a bunch of U S business. over what. Like everything.
1: literally
0: everything. Now, when it comes to soccer at that point, you guys don't know shit. Like, you guys are not the best at all. You're just getting. How long does it take? And what describe the process from transitioning from a U.S. business to an international business where NFL and NBA take a back seat now to the English Premier League and all the major soccer? How does that work? And how long does it take to become proficient?
1: That's, yeah. We, um, well, and imagine there's something you don't think about, which is the system. The systems are built for U.S. sports, and we know how many teams we have, how many games are being played. Now you add a full card of soccer or European football in your system, it slows everything down. I mean, it's just not built to scale. And, um, but we've always, you know, Pinnacle was such a powerhouse, like there was a very large international following always. So it's not like we went from, you know, we didn't lose 95% of the business by any means. And we were really focusing on on the Asian market and all the other international markets at that time. So we had a a decent soccer product, but indeed, you know, that was the big struggle um, with the soccer trading. And we learned a lot of lessons the hard way, obviously, but the trading team, we ended up hiring a bunch of uh, Magic players. And, um, you know, they're not really, they're not about the sports. I mean, you might remember Marco Bloom. He basically built our entire trading group. Um, and he would take uh, the magic guys who are just strategic, analytical game players and train them to do the, the risk management. And some of the greatest traders in Pinnacle came from that. Um, and then from there, they grew out the, uh, the, the soccer product.
0: Did you guys? Take it years. It took years. We're it took still years.
1: It constantly. Oh, of course. And eighty-five percent, you know, it, it's like the significant part of the business still.
0: It, and it took years. Did you guys? You know, when you say it took years, you you, you know, from what I from what I remember, soccer is not my thing, but you guys were really getting, you know, you they were really getting beat up a little bit um, until you kind of learn the ropes and. It's just it's completely different than a U.S. sport where, you know, when it came to U.S. sports, Pinnacle before that one eleven oh seven was the place. You know, the sharpest line in the world was Pinnacle, and now losing all that U.S. business, um, it just it it, the, the, it took a back seat. So, you being a you know you, you becoming CEO, um, you know you, you know you're eleven years in a business when you started Pinnacle, um, and um, and you becoming. Let's describe the role of that what is it let's let, let the, a deal you know walk me through a typical day and there is no such thing as a typical day obviously but walk just give me an example of what happens what fires are you putting out on a daily basis being the CEO of one of the most prominent and respect respected bookmakers in the world. Yeah. Um
1: you know in the early days it was customer focused and I didn't deal with customers at all. People, people, people people. Um, That was a big thing. And just always, you know, you could never be ahead of scaling because that's not, you know, when you come out of the U.S. market and then you're trying to create your business again, you're not looking to be ahead of the curve on scaling because you're just trying to make money and reestablish yourself. So, you know, it was really chasing the scale and um, and getting into those markets. You know, I really focused on getting you know all those oh the rest of world was my focus for many many years I I didn't focus on anything else and then you know creating the departments creating you know um yeah I'm going to jump ahead a little bit to 2014 when um Magnus Hedman uh, eventually came in and, and bought Pinnacle um you know it was really about getting that you know getting making making pinnacle more resilient so it could really stand the test of time which it has
0: for so so when you say in being international and going out there in the world you know everyone is notoriously knows that asia is you know when it comes to gamblers the asian market is is number one um how big of a focus was to grow the asian business
1: um, it was a major focus. And, you know, when I was at WWTS, we had a solid Asian business, which is one of the reasons why Pinnacle wanted me. So, you know, I knew all the major players. Um, we had great partners there that, you know, literally I would travel with, I, you know, I traveled like 70, minimum 70% of the time, the whole time I was in Pinnacle. So uh, a little bit challenging as a single mother, I can't lie, but it was uh, worth it in the end. My daughter turned out pretty good, so <laughs> it all worked out. But um, but it it was just the main focus, and and then through that, you 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 know, as far of course, all the syndicates and all the other professional vetters in the world, the Pinnacle didn't have to go find them; they found us. But you know, just you know, massaging those relationships constantly was the focus that. I
0: Pinnacle always stood out and still continues to stand out as no gimmicks, no bonuses, none of that stuff. Reduce juice. Um, we're not going to kick you out. We pay you fast. Why was Pinnacle the only one to go about that? What made, while others were, you know, in the, in the bonus, 20% sign-up bonus and all this stuff. How did Why did Pinnacle decide to go the different direction, and why have they been the only successful ones to do that?
1: I think, you know, it's timing, timing and vision. You know, you you could call it innovation or vision. And, you know, if you recall back in those late 90s, companies like Costco came alive and people would drive, you know, people didn't matter how much money you had, you were taking a Costco run, whether it's to get your cleaning supplies, whatever. And, you know, some of the owners just realized. That model of that reduced juice with high volume, low margins, that could work. And with the betting expertise, they were able to hit that critical mass. So they could win betting and sustain the business until they hit the critical mass, which they did rather quickly. And I think that was why, you know, everybody tries to be another pinnacle. Everybody, you know, I, I just, I, it's going to be, you know, you have to have a risk appetite that doesn't exist. Um, big wins, you know, that's a uh, fun to celebrate. Big losses, ooh, you know, that's a bit trickier. And it's it's that critical mass that Pinnacle was brilliant with their timing. And you know, at one point when I was with WWTS, we had the majority of our withdrawals going to Pinnacle. I was so pissed off, you know. And now I say, if you can't beat them, join them. But they just, you know, and I would say, Bob, why are you transferring your money to Pinnacle? well, everybody bets there, everybody, you know, I can't not bet there. <laughs> they didn't even understand the value. You know, so it was, it, you know, it just took off. It was the perfect timing. They had the resilience and the the guts and the risk appetite to try something different, not give a hundred percent bonus, you know, all that stuff was all crap. Um, and Pinnacle, they, at the right time, They made the change, and yeah, the rest
0: is history. You mentioned a great thing there: risk appetite. Risk appetite coupled with talent. I think you know. Tell me, I'm wrong, but is that the winning formula? Like, can you can have as much risk appetite as possible, but without the proper talent of a bookmaker um, Mm -hmm. to be able to know how to move, how hard to move, to be able to profile customers correctly? How much of that was the crux of Pinnacle success? No.
1: totally the, the foundation of it. And then you have information, which is critical, obviously having that risk, your reward is information. And then as time progressed, the other thing that I loved watching, look, I'm not a trader, right? The trading team and pinnacle that's their own little um, success story, but I was able to allow them to, you know, to be, to, to get to the point that they were at. And, you know, I worked at, when I was at WWTS, we bought a company that had tons of automation, and I kept saying, you know, you guys, if whatever you do, if you explain it to a developer, you can actually automate it. No way, no way, never believe that. And then when we got in these magic guys, then modeling, R and D, you know, AI, all that started coming into place. So I think it was about two thousand. Probably eight or nine, we really started focusing on building out an r and d team, and that was that that turning point for the long term success of pinnacle and you know that whole r and d trading group um you know that's really what's been able to continue the success moving forward
0: spending money now to pay off dividends later. Not too many people think that long term and R&D requires such a big investment up front with little to no return and just the hopes that it will pay off later. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing foresight, you know, for, for, and, and, and for you to spearhead that the auto mover, just something as simple as, as you know, Pinnacle was the first sports book to have an auto mover where you would write one bet to a number Um, where you couldn't get double popped because the the computer would just move the number after you write the first bet where other people would just get triple quadruple banged, you know, little things like this, which seems so basic and such, such an important tool, you know, to be on the forefront of that is just absolutely amazing. The blue circle. um, I'm I'm just (laughs) telling you the things like, who's like, who thought of this? Like, this is just like, you know, usually you think of if a game is circled, Oh man, you, you only bet you could, you know, you have, you have half limits or something pinnacle. The first one to say, we're going to blue circle it, which means you'll probably get double limits. Um, these things like, can we just describe how some of these things came about and, and how they were just leading, leading uh, uh, innovations in, in sports gambling?
1: Well, I think it was the focus of what we tried to accomplish. And you know, you've got the, the original guys, they, you know, they knew what they wanted to do. And then the decisions that they made that are visionary, um, they just complemented the focus. So, you know, the blue circle, they're like, how do we get bigger limits? You know, how do we get more volume, 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 volume? That was the drive. Um, And, you know, so those things were created by how to continue focusing on the prize. You know, and as they're trading, it's like, well, you know, not everybody can sit there every day. So if we blue circle it, then everybody knows that's a game that people can make a higher run on. And that's a person for example.
0: Well said. When you said volume, another another such an innovative thing when you think about it, and and you know for Pinnacle to actually say, "Here's our API, and you can have your computer bet into us." We welcome robots. N- you know, in this day and age, you hear the word robot betting. People are like, "Oh no, you're you're past posting. You're manipulating the score. Or you're cheating." Whereas Pinnacle was like, "What are you talking about? We want this action. We want you to bet as much as possible. Right, right, right." Um, you know, it it just, you know, it seems so, you know, common sense, but why hasn't this common sense propagated throughout the industry? Is it a lack of talent or a lack of risk appetite or something else?
1: Well, you know, that's a tricky one right now because that same giving mentality is one of the biggest, um, challenges for Pinnacle, right? people taking the API and not betting in, which is to, you know, so this is where we have a little bit of slippage. You know, ideally if everybody had the API to bet back into pinnacle, it'd be worth, you know, success, success beyond success, but people are taking it and going and running their own sports book. So now what, you know um, you know, so it's, it's a bit of a catch 22 to be honest, but back in the day, it was definitely a concept of marketing our line giving people access and and the reality was from a technical perspective, if we blocked it and we tried to be clever about it, people want Pinnacle more than Pinnacle want people sometimes. And they will figure out how to get that line, take us down, scrape it to the, you know, we have more activity from people trying to get the line than people betting the line. So, you know, we had to make sure that from a technical solution perspective, we didn't hurt the players that mattered to us by trying to be too aggressively blocking the ones that we didn't this that day, into the strategy.
0: So this day, there are people that copy the pinnacle line, even on markets where pinnacle doesn't take a big limit because yeah. of the history and because of the reputation. Um, and people just like, oh, if, as long as pinnacle, um, you know, if Pinnacle says that's the line. We're confident that's the line. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, and, and it just—you know—believe me. You know, this is how, how it is, and it's like, um, you know, nobody charts their own work. I'm just, again, I'm, I'm venting here, so forgive me, Paris, but um, I'm, I'm just seeing how it just—it's insane how you know copying someone else's line, thinking that you can run a successful sports book um, yeah. that way, is just—I don't—asinine well, to me. But
1: it's working. Right. I mean, what they don't understand is they could be a lot more successful. So I can't remember the exact year, honestly, but when we started, you know, we um know, you know, so now we know we have the best line, and not everybody's coming to us. So that was a little bit of our flawed strategy. We just assumed the whole world would want to bet with Pinnacle because we have the best information, the best line, the best value. And When we realized that, okay, you know, we're not getting what we thought we would get, then B2B came into the picture. And the pinnacle solution is the global B2B brand. And that, you know, it's an API and we do, we receive the bet flow, it's called. And it's interesting because people that have had accounts with, you know, that have had partners with other groups, I won't mention, that's not nice, but, you know, they lost money with one, barely broke even with another, start up with pinnacle solution, in particular with esports, and are thriving. So the point is having the line is great, but if you're actually getting the value and you know the real value in the line with that line management, that's where you're really going to make money. So you know there's a lot of things that um, that are in play to kind of help people understand that, let them see what the potential value is, and I think as you progress down the road, Pinnacle is going to move into some really phenomenal um, and and uh, hopefully groundbreaking B two B kind of product product developments.
0: Will the B two B ever uh, over uh, become more? Prevalent in the B2C as it currently is now? Or how 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 are we looking at it? Will Pinnacle always be catering more towards the customers and other bookmakers?
1: Um, I think it's well, it's it's interesting, right? Because with B2B, not everybody, you know, they're not all pinnacle customers. That's the beauty. So yeah. pinnacle customers are pinnacle customers and the B2B have very different customer bases. That's why we chose to do the B2B route. You know, we're not looking, you know, we we're not experts in marketing to the entertainment world, but other people are. So let's let them do it. Let's allow them to make the most money that they can possibly make. And in theory, then it's a win-win. So you know with the B2B model as well, you know, it's uh, it's it's a bit slim for the for the op- you know the operator is the one that wins, the provider gets a small piece. So you know it's gonna take a while for that to surpass. But I wouldn't say it's, it's off the table. I mean, Pinnacle has done some pretty amazing things and let's see, that could be the next one.
0: So Paris being the CEO, uh, former CEO of Pinnacle and all the, the impact that you've made, what would be your legacy? What, ha- what are you the most proud of that has impacted Pinnacle for the long run?
1: You know, I'm a massive believer in the people. The the thing I miss is the people. You know, I had uh, a lot of employees, a lot of amazing employees. Uh, I saw a lot of growth of people. You know, it's just been like that's that's the part that kept me motivated. I think the biggest success, quite honestly, is finding the right guy to take over Pinnacle because in 2012 um, you know, there was a little uh, mess with the previous owners and it was clear that, you know, either they sell or I have to leave. And it was, you know, finding Magnus Hedman, I think is probably my best legacy in order to um, continue the success of Pinnacle because he has the risk appetite. He has the vision. He has the experience in um, trading and high trade, you know, high frequency trading with the financial markets. He understood the Asian um, and and the whole soccer business, you know, better than than Pinnacle maybe ever will because he had a company that provided the majority of liquidity into Betfair for many years. So you know, he understood it, and he understood that Asia had a had a part. You know, he understood that it's not going to last forever. So. We've always been quite aligned with um with where we need to be, where we need to go, you know keeping close tabs on the u s market so I think you know having him in place that that's that was my way of ensuring that Pinnacle's gonna have um you know maybe t- you know it's coming up on twenty five years if I'm not mistaken like august eighth um which is in a few days, so you know hopefully we get another successful 25 years being around doesn't mean anything being at the pinnacle that means something
0: beautiful play on words love it being being pinnacle at the pinnacle paris um you've come such a long way in the business i've i've remember the days of wwts and you've come you know you've done so much and you've impacted the business um in such a prominent way and 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 pinnacle is stronger than it's ever been I really appreciate you coming on the podcast um, before we leave the name of this thing is called be better betters. And, you know, we, I usually ask what is the one piece of advice you can give someone um, to become a better, better? What you we know, don't, if there's anything of all the things that you've seen over the last 25 years plus what, what have you, what can you advise an up and coming better or even a pro on on how to up their game?
1: You know, it's so funny because think about back then at WWTS, all you had is what you would read in a paper. Um, Now, information's at your fingertips. You know, everybody has their own model to bet. It's really just about managing your money and, you know, making it entertainment, keeping it entertainment. You know, obviously, tons of professionals are out there. You know, I'm I'm not a professional basketball player, but I was a good basketball player. <laughs> you yeah. know, kind of know your lane. I think might be some good advice. But yeah. Just you know, utilize the information that you have and manage your bankroll properly.
0: Beautiful bankroll management. Without that, I've seen so many people um go busto. Some of the smartest people in the world, improper bankroll management, and they wind up going broke, busto tapioca. They don't you know, and then they're just left out in the cold. So. Great advice. Yeah. Paris, thank you so much. This is a long time coming. I really appreciate you coming on. And um, I can't wait to see you soon and grab some dinner.
1: Sounds good. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Appreciate it, Paris. Thanks so much for the time. Until next time.